Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 94. I'm Dr. Ryan Gray. As always, I'm joined by Dr. Scott Wright. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing pretty pretty damn well, I would <laughs> pretty, say. Pretty so. darn hoot, rootin' tootin', rootin whatever they say down <laughs> in Texas, I don't know. I'm uh, doing well. Yeah, it's a beautiful day, so I'm excited (laughs) to be here. A beautiful day in the neighborhood, as our our good friend Mr. Rogers used to say. Uh, Former executive or retired executive director at TMDSAS and uh, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern. The man who knows it all. uh, (laughs) Not to be confused with the woman who knows it all. (laughs) I was going to say Verinia. You're not Verinia. Not here today, <laughs> Rachel. Brittany does also know it all, but she yeah. is not here today. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, Rachel Grubbs, co-founder of Mapped, with lots and lots decades of experience in the pre-med and MCAT process. Where did the time go? Uh, yeah, minute after minute, day after day, <laughs> it just goes five hundred twenty-six thousand five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred minutes is that i don't think i can do that without singing it but i'm not gonna <laughs> i know that's the problem I go, um, love me some rent <laughs> scott have you seen rent i've never seen rent oh so good wow. I've, it a couple times. I've never right. seen it no i i've seen hamilton which i loved Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, a lot of other uh, Broadway uh, things, but never rent. Mm-hmm. Nice, 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 nice. Wow. We are here not to talk about Broadway. That is not our expertise. We are here to talk about pre-med, which is uh, slightly more boring than Broadway. Um, but we try to entertain just as much. If you have questions, go ask them over at uh, mapped.tv or premed.tv. We can pull in questions anywhere. So if you're watching us, ask a question and, and we'll pull it in. Except on yeah, here. absolutely. Out there. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, let's start with something happy. Uh, yeah, just got into med school. Jalen, hello. Congrats. Yay. Keep your doctor. Here we that need. Oh, wait, no, wrong one. <laughs> Sorry. I, I need to switch my, my colors on the, my soundboard. Green is the want want want. I'm like, no, green should be the happy one. Anyway. Yeah, that's true. I was I was in my head going, how do I pronounce? Is that Jane Lynn? And then I was like, you know what the answer is? Is Doctor Sosa? There you go. There you mm-hmm. got it. Future Doctor Sosa. Dr. Sosa. I All agree right. with that. That's awesome. Okay. Mohammed asks, why do medical schools not take into account the difficulty of a major when looking at GPA? Mohammed, because they ain't got time. <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. Mohammed, there are thousands upon thousands of institutions of higher education in this country uh, where pre-med students are taking classes. It is impossible 
to build out any sort of uh, algorithm, data sets, anything. Well, nothing is impossible these days with, with computers, but uh, it's, it's just too much time and effort and, and uh, super, super subjective at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what happens when a professor changes at the college and now all of a sudden the thing that made the major hard is now easy. And it's Scott, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I agree with that. I will say that on, so on the front end of things, I think that's exactly right. When they're reviewing applications to get a, their cohort of who they want to uh, interview, it, it's really impossible with the, the massive amounts of, of applicants that they have and the variety of majors around the, around the country, uh, you know, and e- even a biology major at one institution will be radically different than a biology major at, at another institution. Now, having said that, I know that in, in many cases, what medical school admissions committees will do on the back end, when, they're, when, they, when they've got the, the interview group of people and they're in the committee actually looking at that smaller cohort of people that they've interviewed, I know that part of what they will look at is the rigor of the curriculum that you uh, pursued. In other words, there is some level of recognition that some majors are just inherently more difficult than other majors. Best example of that is, is engineering majors are typically noted as really tough. And to have a 3.5 as an engineering major is, is really radically different than having a 3.5 as an English major, for example. Or I was a history major, so as a history major, you know, a 3.5 is, is, is not as hard to get as a history major as it is as a engineering major at, at a lot of institutions, kind of depending on, on a couple of things. So, so they're looking at the rigor, that, and that would include not only your major, but where you went to school and what other things were going on. Did, were you having to work? Were you having to, you know, were you a varsity athlete? Were you in the military? You know, there's a variety of things that are going to go into that end result committee evaluation of the applicants that they've interviewed to make decisions about who they're going to make offers to. Yeah. So basically they can have those more nuanced discussions when it's a smaller group smaller of students group. they're talking yeah. about, but you have yeah. to get to that point. Right. Exactly. That's to be able exactly to, right. to benefit from that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, that comes up a lot. So thanks for asking Muhammad. I know it's a popular yeah. question. Yeah. Hey, Jam, 730 says, just inquiring if applicants are at any disadvantage if they submit an application without all of the prereqs. I will not have all my grades ready by the end of May of this year, unfortunately. Right? Super common situation. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I think there's one, and, and don't quote me on this. I, I saw one school sometime, and maybe I misread it or I lack some context, that, that basically said, like, you have to have your prereqs before you apply to us. Yeah, um, I, I think you're right, Ryan. I, I, I don't know what school it was, but I remember that. Yeah. Um, but it's extremely rare, right? Because you guys are remembering rare. there might yeah, yeah. be one out there out of 200-plus schools. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, it's, it's super common uh, if you're a traditional student going through this process that you – even non-trads uh, who have right. a lot of catching up to do right. uh, with their prereqs to apply with pending prereqs. 
Mm-hmm. So, and that's yep. fine. And even applying to schools where you weren't planning on taking a class, right? You find a school that you're super interested in applying to. And one of their prereqs is stats or mm-hmm. anatomy, right? There are a few med schools that where anatomy and physiology is, is a prereq. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just, you fit it in before you matriculate. And as long as yep. you do that, you're, you're typically okay. Yeah. Yeah. So no, no disadvantage at, at, at the vast majority of schools. Yeah. Yeah. The one, the one uh, caveat that I would put to that is not necessarily a disadvantage from prereqs, but a disadvantage. And I, I just want to bring it up because I, I talk to too many students who do this, where they do a master's program or a post program and they apply during the program when they're using the program to show yes. academic ability Yes. And they apply and they don't even have any grades yet, Mac, or maybe they have a semester and, and the medical schools are like, well, okay, great, but that's not enough of an upward trend. So come back next year. We mm-hmm. don't take updates. So if you are doing something to show academic ability, meaning a post back SMP, whatever, then you should ideally wait until that program is finished to apply so that mm-hmm. it shows all of those grades, all of that improvement. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. Rashna asks for the activity section, does conferences attended really mean just attended or is it a conference you presented at? I don't know. <laughs> title, title says it all attended, right? There's a poster presentation, whatever the, uh, the, exact category name is right Rachel there's there's a specific category for presentations yeah Roshna I think if you have a mapped account you can go into um, our resources uh, activity section and there's a grid that sort of shows you all the act all the activity categories and how they kind of correspond to each other Ryan's also got a pretty great book it's called the pre-med playbook. I'm looking, it's part of I'm a series. <laughs> let's see. Let's, a, let's spotlight Ryan there. Oh, no. Books. Bring the, bring the book a little more in camera. There you go. <laughs> so um, I have it right here. Uh, AMCAS has uh, the conferences attended, yep. but then they also have presentations exactly. slash posters. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So attended is really attended. Um, yep. 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 Yeah, you can take it at face value. Yep. James Dowd asks, is there any idea of how many drafts of a personal statement one should have? It feels like I can always continue to change it and don't know when to stop and be good with what I have. Good question. Which reminds me of my favorite quote that I've heard about this is art is never finished. Right. It only stops in interesting places. That's right. I agree with that completely. I, and you know, in fact, I would say, and I've told this to many of my students in the past is that if and it, it, the same thing applies, I think in general to M, studying for the MCAT, you're never going to feel ready for the MCAT. If yeah. you're, if you're basing when you're going to take it on that, I feel ready. You're, you're, you're not going to get there typically. You agree with that, Rachel? Hundred percent. Yeah. So, and the same thing goes for the personal statement and in other essays, but particularly the personal statement. I think you have to, you have to come to a point where ninety-five percent satisfaction is okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And then I think part of what informs us answering James that way is James is asking this question on March 30th. So there's sort of an assumption that this is the draft he's writing for a submission in late May, June. So we're getting the sense from him that he's been working on it for a while. And we also know he has a while. So the answer still stands. But if someone's watching this on May 27th and thinking, I'm still hoping to submit May 28th, give yourself the extra couple days, man, you know, like Mm -hmm. sleep on it, reflect, think about it deliberately, come back to it, look at it, sleep on it. Don't think about it. Your brain is working on it in secret back there. Give (laughs) give yourself some space between those iterations. We don't need to tell James that because we're kind of assuming James is doing that just based on the timing of his question. But to make this kind of a more evergreen answer, you are going to go through multiple drafts. And ideally there is some, time between those drafts so that you can reflect and come back to it. Yeah. I was, I was just uh, reviewing an application with a student who applied last year, had some MCAT issues. And so really didn't apply. They, they, they submitted their application and only did one secondary, but still wanted to review the, the primary application mm-hmm. to, to apply again. And, and even with me helping with the activities section, giving feedback on personal statement, we were still able to pick apart a lot of stuff going like, why did I ever say to say it that way? Right. Yeah. And, and it both comes with separation of, of coming back with fresh eyes. And it's also been six months since we've looked at it. And I have different thoughts. I've grown as a human being. I've taken in new information. I've, I've changed my mind about things. Right. And so uh, it's always good to, to give lots of space there, like Rachel was saying. Yeah. It's one of the best ways to, to be better at writing is to, to start early. <laughs> That's why it takes me forever to write my books, because I just forget about them for a year. Right. <laughs> it's the process. It's not me slacking. <laughs> Amy asks, I transferred to university from community college and changed my major from biochem to cell bio after the first quarter. Transcript shows the change. Should I include something in my app as to why I changed majors? Nope. 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 They don't care. <laughs> don't care. Not needed. Not I mean, important. so many. I think I changed five times when I was in college. Changed my major five times. Yeah. And so I, I think it's so typical and, you know, so yep. wouldn't, yep. wouldn't worry about it. Barkley, I have three C's, one in chem lab, one in sociology, and one in general chemistry lecture. I was thinking of retaking general chemistry lecture for better grades. Should I retake or do better in upper division classes? So the dreaded, uh, should I retake or not? Scott, we typically I have come to the conclusion C minus or below, right? Is It's pretty much a mandatory retake for the prereqs. Um, but a C or C plus, it's like in a lower general chemistry class, I think it's mm. pretty much, do you have the foundational knowledge to continue forward? Or do you need to retake it to build that foundation so you can do well in the upper division classes? What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree with that completely. And I, I, I will include in this my mantra about reflection. You know, this is so important, Barkley, for you to think about and ponder and really reflect on why did I make C's in these classes? What was going on? Was it 
was I struggling with material? Was I not engaged enough? Was I not doing the work? You know, what, what was actually going on uh, that caused you to have those C's? But uh, I, I do think that I agree, Ryan, Ryan, with you that foundational knowledge is, is really important. The chem lab, I really don't care about. Uh, sociology, I think, you know, you could probably go either way on that. But the general chemistry, I'd be really concerned about having uh, the foundational knowledge for the MCAT uh, and, and making sure you have that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Mary asks, how bad is it to not have a committee letter? Do individual letters hurt your chances? Mary, most students applying to medical school don't have access to committee letters. Right. And it's one of the reasons why I think we should take a stand and put up a petition to, to get medical schools to stop using committee letters because so many, it freaks out so many students of like, I don't have one. What do I do? Yeah. Or my committee won't give me one because I have a 3.4 and their cutoff is a 3.5 and now I'm screwed and I'm just going to go um, do something else. Yeah, I, Mary, I, I, I don't think you need to worry uh, about it. I, I certainly do not think that individual letters hurt your chances. I, that, that is not the case. There may be some, you know, I, I would say if an, if, if an admissions committee member is reviewing your application and it's a, com it, it, it's a medical school that is in the same state and has a, you know, that, they, that the committee has a very vast knowledge of, the, of your university and, and they have a committee process and they, and you didn't go through it for whatever reason, there may be a question in the, in the back of their mind. I wonder why they didn't go through the committee process, but that's about all. It, it'll be just a kind of wonder about it, but all in all, I don't think there's any reason for you to be concerned. Yep. Andrew asks, I, I am applying to medical school this year. I am going to start volunteering at a hospice for my first clinical experience. I will likely have 40 hours by the time I apply. Is that enough? <laughs> why, do, yeah. why do you say that, Rachel? <laughs> what does mean? Oh, I'm doing the, the emojis. No, like... I, know, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Andrew, is that enough? Only you are going to know the answer to that question. Um, yeah. What's the point of clinical experience? If you've watched our videos before, you know that we think the main purpose of clinical is to prove to yourself that you are excited about this career path. It is very different showing up and taking care of someone else in hospice than sitting by your own grandmother's bed when she's working towards her past, right? So you have to kind of embrace clinical, not as there's a certain number of hours I need to check that checklist and more what meaning am I getting out of this experience? You know, if I'm busy studying, if I'm busy with work, am I excited to go to my clinical experience because it reminds me why I'm working so hard to go to med school? Um, we can't define those things for you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, the bonus of starting clinical early is that it helps you tell stories in your essays. So if you're looking at this from an application standpoint, one challenge will be if you have 40 hours by the time you apply, you're probably right now working on personal statement and activities. How, how are you answering questions about why medicine if you haven't had a lot of direct experience in medicine? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how you're doing that. Yeah, I agree. Yep. 
it's not the number of hours it's the impact that it's had on you that you can then communicate through your personal statement through essays through interviews all that good stuff so yep yep yeah and remember andrew for amcast specifically you can project out uh, assuming you're going to want to continue hospice throughout the application cycle year you can project out that end date project out those hours Mm Jonathan asks, is the leadership experience important for medical school apps? I have no interest in being a leader of a student club or having a leadership position in an organization. Hmm. Scott. Hmm. Hmm. Well, uh, I understand, Jonathan, you're, you know, maybe not being interested in, in being a leader in a club organization. There are other ways to show leadership skills, whether it's through sports or volunteering or other activities that are outside of the, the college environment or, or whatever. I do think that leadership is, is important. Uh, the the uh, physician is the leader of the healthcare team. And, uh, and in a lot of different ways. And, uh, and so I think that, that, that certainly on, uh, that it could be beneficial to you. I, I think that, uh, leadership experience can, uh, you know, be important. If you don't have that type of leadership experience, is it going to be a real big red flag in your application? Probably not. Um, but I, I would say that, you know, broaden, broaden your vision of, of about what um, leadership can mean and what, what you can do uh, to gain leadership experience, broaden that outside of your institution. It could be a work experience. Maybe you're the head cashier at the grocery store where you work, or maybe you're, you know, it, so there's a lot of different ways that you can show leadership skills. Yeah. This is, uh, it's conversations I've been having with my eight-year-old daughter of fixed mindset versus open mindset. Mm-hmm. And that comment was a very fixed mindset comment. Like, I have no interest in this. Mm-hmm. And, and you may not be interested because you've seen bad leaders and you're like, oh, I don't want to be one of those dudes or, or yeah. dudettes. Um, and so I, I have no interest in, in being a suit or whatever you want to call them. But there are variations of leaders and and all this stuff. So, uh, as you were mentioning, Scott, they're, they're like being a being a, a team leader at a grocery store, team leader, scribe, scribe leader, all that kind of right, stuff. Right. To to see and and expand that thought process. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Anthony asks: Would working as a clinical research data manager count as clinical experience? Whoop, whoop, is it clinical? <laughs> oh, that was interesting. Okay. I work, I work with physicians and CRCs, so clinical research coordinators, daily on coordinating proper patient care within the protocol of the clinical trial. Rachel, help this man out. Anthony, the word clinical in your job title may or may not indicate that you are doing clinical work while you are working. You say, 
I work with physicians and CRCs daily on coordinating proper patient care. What I didn't see you say here in this short character limited comment is I work with patients directly every day in a way related to their health. So with this very limited data you've given me, totally ignoring the title because titles are nearly meaningless, just with the amount of information you've given me about your job description, it sounds to me like you are doing very important work that is administrative in nature. Mm-hmm. Is it good experience? Yes. Should you keep doing it if you like it? Absolutely yes. Is it clinical? No, it doesn't sound clinical to me. No. <laughs> oh, I had fun with that one. All right, we got we got to clip that sound of me making, making some noises earlier too. Oh man! Whoops! Uh, there we go. Mark asks Texas Texas resident here. What is the purpose for schools requesting uh, SAT ACT scores? In what way is that reviewed by admissions committees? Well, former Texas director of admissions and retired executive director of all of TMDSAS, which is the organization that is requesting the SAT ACT scores. What is that purpose? Yeah, I I think that what what they're trying to get at is to understand how you do with high stakes standardized testing. Now, when you were in high school, the SAT or ACT was about as high stakes as it got uh, for for you at that point in your life. Now, at this point in your life, the MCAT is the highest stakes testing that you've ever done. And so what I would say is that um, that the, the medical schools like to look at that to see, you know, if they see, a, and, and a good example of that would be they see somebody who's got a 3.9 GPA uh, in, in a biology major or whatever, yet they come in with an MCAT score that is, you know, maybe unexpected with that high of a GPA. Maybe the MCAT scores of 502 or a 504 or something like that. Um, and and so they might look at the ACT or a- SAT and say, okay, this guy says he was in he was the in the the, the top. 10% of his high school class, but he makes, you know, kind of a marginal ACT score. So it could be that there's something going on with this student's ability at standardized testing. And so I, I don't think that the SAT, ACT are comparable necessarily to the MCAT, but they're both standardized tests. And so in that way, they are comparable. SAT, ACT does, isn't a content-rich exam like the MCAT is, so that's different. But that's why they, that's why TMDSAS asks that question. How much admissions committees really do that is questionable. I know when I was at UT Southwestern, we would sometimes look at that if there was that disparity between uh, with the uh, with the MCAT and the GPA and stuff to try to glean what was really going on here, but that was even not, not typically, and it's not very scientific. It's just very anecdotal. And, and it's, it's part of the discussion that an admissions committee would have uh, about a particular applicant. Mm -hmm. All right. Eileen the Bean, <laughs> I, I don't want it to look like I can't handle shadowing clinical during school and can uh, and only can do so during the summer, but there isn't much room in my schedule right now. 
any advice. Mm. Scott, what do you think? Well, I would say you just do what you can do. You know, I mean, I think it's not unusual, particularly when a student is in the middle of MCAT study to, uh, you know, they're going to school, they're studying for the MCAT, maybe they have a job or maybe they're a varsity athlete or, you know, whatever. Uh, there's just a lot on your plate. And, uh, and, and so, you know, the, the admissions committees, I think, you know, in general, they understand that. And so I would say, Aileen, just, you know, just try to uh, do the best you can uh, with timing and stuff and, and balance it out the best you can. And, and don't, don't worry about it um, too much. Now, having said that, I, I would also suggest to you that you consider what is in your schedule and what is it, what is taking up so much time and really focus on trying to understand um, what the pro- your priorities and, uh, and, and, and make sure that you're aligning uh, your, your activities in a given week to what your priorities are in terms of what your mission in life is at this point. If your mission in life in the, at this point is to get into medical school, you really do have to align every opportunity that comes your way with that mission. And even if they're great opportunities, if they're not aligned with that mission, then they're a distraction. And so what you have to do is really, you know, be, be very cognizant of that priority. And I, I'll give you a good example. We would sometimes have students who would say, I can't, you know, I couldn't do a whole lot of shadowing or clinical stuff because I, I've just got, you know, I'm so busy. I'm in this major and I'm working. And, but then we look in their application and we see they're spending 20 hours a week uh, playing with their band uh, you know, practicing with their band or, or doing video games or working out, you know, they're going two or three hours a day working out. So, you know, that's where there sometimes can be a disconnect where they say one thing about their uh, ability to, to work things into their schedule, but we look and see that there's other things that they're doing on, a, on an extensive basis, which, you know, kind of, uh, kind of, we, we question that. And so just, you know, Aileen, I would just say, just keep in mind what your priority is. As long as everything is lined up with your priority of getting into medical school, then, uh, then, then, you know, do the best you can, uh, you know, take opportunities where they exist to get into shadowing and clinical, uh, clinical experiences. And, and then, uh, and then, you know, just let it be what it is. Yep. Nabawanda asks, not sure if you can answer this. We'll try. But do you think interviews for this cycle will be primarily in person? Mm, good question. Have you heard any rumbling, Scott, about this? No, not, not yet. Um, I, I haven't heard... Uh, much um, my and, and you know boy it's anybody's guess what's going to happen here I, yeah. I, I, I don't think uh, you know my guess is that some schools are going to uh, want to go back to in-person interviewing there's there's a, a, a lot of reasons why they would do that uh, they want to get you on their campus they want you to see their campus they want you to meet their students they want you to interact and get a feel for what this is like they want you to see the community you know so there's a lot of reasons why the medical schools want you actually on their campus hmm. um, 
you know, but on the other hand, I think that medical schools have seen uh, that uh, virtual interviewing can be effective. Mm. And uh, and so, you know, I, I would say there's going to be some schools that will, will continue with virtual interviewing. Uh, there may be some schools that will do a hybrid and give you a choice, which I, I don't know if that's a great idea. But um, And then there's some schools that will probably say no. And there's already a few. Arizona comes to mind where they're doing in-person interviews already. So, yeah. so it's anybody's yeah. guess. So. Arizona, Arkansas last year, still mm-hmm. Arkansas College of Osteopathic mm-hmm. Medicine, uh, Oklahoma State Osteopathic Medical School was doing in-person last year still. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I think human nature is going to take over um, and and just want to go back to what was status quo yep. Yep. versus taking a step back and going, oh, wait, this has been working. Yes, there are downfalls. For us on the admissions committee, right, we don't have the people in front of us. We can't sell them our campus and our culture and the vibe here. And we'll look at the cafeteria and all the choices. Um, and, and I think that's, uh, disappointing. Uh, it's yeah. disappointing that we want to get back to the status quo as fast as possible versus taking a step back, listening to the students going, Oh, this was easier for you, both from a time standpoint, from a financial standpoint, mm-hmm. um, from just a stress standpoint. Uh, and unfortunately, I think I think nobody's going to do the hard work and of looking at the two years roughly where we had virtual interviews, the students who were accepted during those two years, the, the students who were accepted the two years prior going, there's no difference here, right? Mm-hmm. We, we weren't hindered in our ability to pick the best candidates for our class, right? Mm-hmm. Half the class didn't show up going, oh my gosh, this campus is terrible. I want to leave. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, now, having said that, Ryan, what, what I would say is I think there will be a good number of schools that will do a deep dive and, and really am, try to analyze so. this. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I think part of that is going to be yield. Uh, in other words, uh, on, on the students that they made offers to initially, how many, you know, was there a percentage yield difference in terms of how many of them accepted the offer and actually matriculated yep. that was di- that was notably or statistically different yep. than, uh, than what they had experienced uh, historically. Exactly. And so they'll be looking at some stuff like that to, to see what the, what the down, downstream effects might have been uh, with, with regard to the students not being on campus and seeing the vibe, you know, feeling that vibe and all that yep. you mentioned. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Rachel from the, the artsy med, uh, had a follow-up question or not follow-up, a follow-up point here. Um, so she interviewed at a school and had us follow someone via zoom around the campus while they showed us around and told us everything that made it feel so lovely and personal, right? That's, using technology it's not that hard to yep. jump on a cell phone on zoom yep. and and just walk around right it's why i want to i want to go personally uh and and do a med school tour of every med school in the country with my videographer and and team of writers and stuff so we can we can capture that vibe as much as possible mm-hmm. to let every student know because it, it is, it's a financial barrier. It's a, it's a time barrier right. for a lot of students. That's and right. they, they'll turn down interviews because they're like, well, I don't have any money left to travel. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. It stinks. Yep. 
Yeah, that's that's such a wonderful solution that, yeah, that your school came up with, Rachel. Yeah, that's great, Rachel. Yeah, um, it gets at the things I worry about, right? Because I think it's a hardship to make people go to in-person video interviews, but I also think it's a hardship to not let them experience the campus so what a nice attempt at a solution for both yeah agreed yeah i hope people keep just brainstorming that you know yep i agree all right fledgers one two three what can i do after receiving an acceptance to increase my odds of getting merit scholarships Scott, this the scholarship <laughs> question comes up a lot. It's like, yeah, um, yeah. For for your time at, at UT Southwestern, is there just a very set standard process in place of like, okay, here are the people we've accepted. Let's let's run through our uh, criteria for scholarships, and that's who gets it. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, that's true. Most most medical schools do not have a separate scholarship application. They're really basing it on the admission application because that is so extensive and has so much information in it. It's plenty of what they need to make those decisions. It depends a little bit on what philosophy the medical school that you're looking at um, has in terms of what, what they're going to use their, their limited amount of scholarship money for. In other words, uh, merit scholarships could be given to students. You know, for example, at UT Southwestern, we used to try to try to reach as many people as possible with the scholarship money that we had available. You know, there's a finite amount of scholarship money, and and we, we're trying to reach as many people as we can to help defray their cost uh, of attending medical school. There are some medical schools that are going to use at, at least some of that. A scholarship, a pool of money to attract, you know, top-notch students that they really want in their medical school. Uh, they use it as a recruiting tool to say, hey, we, we want you here. We're going to give you X amount of dollars to uh, per year to, to, come to, to come to school here. Uh, so it just depends on the school, depends on the philosophy. But to your question, what can you do after acceptance is is it's pretty limited, if not Neil, in terms of what you can do. Mm-hmm. You've done what you can do by submitting the application, interviewing well, getting accepted, et cetera. There's there's not a whole lot that you can do at this point. Yep. John asks for grade repair postbacks. Are upper division science courses preferred over non-science courses? How about lower division courses? How are online courses viewed for grade repair? So first and foremost, I'll get out of the way. Science, 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 yep. science, science, science. That is the goal of grade repair is you are taking science courses. Yep. Um, online courses. Hmm. Scott, for great repair. Um, I I would say if you're going to take a f- maybe a, a few courses online uh, and then s- some also in person, that that be uh, that that would be certainly fine. It could, you know that kind of depends on a little bit on where you live and 
whether you can re relocate. There are some postback programs out there that are all online. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I, I think you, you, know, you have to calculate into that what you're able to do. Can you move across the country or two states over to attend the postback program? Are you kind of stuck where you are because of your job or family or whatever? And uh, so some of it depends on your, the dynamics of your own personal life. But I think uh, in general, I, I would say online courses are, are not viewed you know, poorly necessarily, but I would say I would like to see, uh, you know, particularly if they're from a reputable institution that's well known for their, you know, science program, for example. I know that Cal Berkeley has a lot of online uh, science classes in their extension, uh, as does Harvard Extension, uh, and then there are others across the country, uh, you know. You know, I, I wouldn't take an online, I wouldn't take online classes at, you know, XYZ college in, you know, podunk wherever <laughs> and, uh, you know, expect that that's going to be, you know, well regarded. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think Sean, oh, go, go ahead, Rachel. I was going to say, Sean, you asked sort of by, by asking upper division science courses preferred over nine non-science. I mean, that that's a hundred percent, right? I yeah. think you're getting at the right point here. Yeah. The whole point of grade repair is you are trying to prove to med schools that you are a different student than you used to be and that you are prepared to handle the academic rigor of med school. Yep. So whatever you can do to back that up with um, four-year universities with, um, unfortunately there, I mean, online during COVID is a little different. Like, like we said, not all online is bad, but either online from really prestigious places that are known to deliver great online um, and I don't mean like, it doesn't have to be Harvard, like the, right. UC, UC, I mean, UC Berkeley is also very prestigious, but a good school's extension course as opposed yeah. to like, um, what is a Southern New Hampshire that's like all online. Yeah. I don't think that's a, I'm not saying that's a bad school. I'm saying, I don't think they're known for their amazing upper level science courses. <laughs> so try to tie yourself to a university that's known for that if possible. Yeah. And again, it's just yeah. about proving that you can handle the rigor. That's right. Ryan, did you want to chime in? Uh, yeah. So what I was going to say was uh, just s some potential, potential, again, with COVID, we would hope that schools would go, oh, these things can be different. Why did we have these rules, these procedures set up um, that may be hindering some students? And we've seen that with COVID, lots of students, almost all students, uh, went online for classes and it's been okay. Uh, and so we've seen Hopkins being the, the biggest uh, example where Hopkins basically said, hey, we accept online classes now, not just during COVID. Anytime you take online classes, we're okay with it. Yeah. Now, that's what they say publicly on their website. Do they really mean that behind the scenes in the admissions committee? I would hope so. Um, but that, that was a big change for a nice prestigious institution like Hopkins medical school to go. We don't have a bias, a negative bias towards online classes anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it showed some real integrity of thinking on their part, right. That they didn't Absolutely. say it's okay. Only spring 2020. They right. said, yeah. you know what, now that we decided, okay, it's okay for whenever. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> they, you, you would, yeah. you would go, you would go, how hypocritical would it be? Yes. Yes. To say, you, the medical schools, went online and you were okay with teaching your medical students online, but you're not okay with that student taking chemistry online. Right. 
Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Like how many med students have we talked to who say, I never go to class. I just watch the videos. Well, that was even pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. <laughs> right, right, That's my right. point. Is yeah. Yeah. Very few med students are actually sitting in live classrooms anymore. They're yeah. just at home. I mean, for, for years one and two, they're just studying yeah. for self-exams. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so if we know that that works. Yeah. Well, that's that's why uh, the future plans of MAPT, uh, we're announcing it here today, will be a, a online-only medical school. And Dr. Scott Wright, you're going to be the dean of our online-only medical school. We're going we're gonna to set it up. I've been thinking about this for a long time, uh, even before COVID. And COVID proved my point that you can teach medical school online. Yep. Um, so. Yep. <laughs> it might be it might be a few years <laughs> uh, but i really think i really think there's an opportunity <laughs> rachel's freaking out there's an opportunity rachel you you've heard me talk about this before there's there's an opportunity for like students who only want to go into family practice to yep. to do an online only medical school we'll have the residency already set up for you you go to medical school online. Obviously you'll have to do some in-person didactic stuff um, that we have to organize. And then residency is right there. Yeah. And the medical school would be uh, no tuition. It would be at, um, an ISA an income sharing agreement, which are becoming more and more popular. Right. <sighs> so anyway, he tells you guys this stuff in public so that I can't be like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, I am intrigued by that premise. We've always talked about it as happening sometime in the 3000s. I'm now worried that Ryan's talking about it happening sometimes in the 2030s. <laughs> <laughs> Why so late? <laughs> <laughs> I, I sent an email to LCME yesterday. <laughs> okay, let me go buy a URL and create a landing page. Free online family medicine med school. There you go. Um, <laughs> and, here, and, here, and, and here you go. <laughs> How do you apply to this? <laughs> we're we're taking deposits. Uh... <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Okay. What's really funny is yeah. <laughs> I love all these comments. People are like, "That's not real." Wait, does Ryan actually already have that URL? Like <laughs> from Magnolian said that. Oh, <laughs> this this is interesting. I I want to know why that guy says it will lower salaries for family medicine. Um, no. Anyway, yeah. How do I, I wonder how that guy knows that? <laughs> He's that guy. He's that guy. You're not okay. that guy. You're not that guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, forty-seven past the hour. We still have time for a few more. Yeah. Um, okay. McKenna, hello. Say I'm one of those students who has a great full-length scores. Uh, she's posting recently. I don't know how public. I, I think it was to all of her social media followers. Yeah. She crushed her full-length exam. Congrats. Um, and bombs the real thing. I get my score back May 10th. How long would I have to retake to apply on time? So my general stance has been June 30th, right? June 30th, the end of June is... Mm -hmm. safe territory for yep. retaking a test or taking it for the first time. Ideally it's not. Uh, and getting your score back end of July to where it's not messing up a ton of stuff in terms of application timing. Remember medical schools 
are just starting to get back secondaries at the beginning of July uh, to mid-July because they're not getting the applications. Again, this is mostly AMCAS and ACOMA-specific. TMDSAS shifted probably a little bit sooner. Um, but they're also, the admissions committees are finalizing their cohorts for the previous cycle with last-minute uh, kind of changing out of students. So, um Around August 1st is when you typically start to see lots of people on Student Doctor Network on Reddit going, I got my first interview invite, right? That's when the admissions committees are spinning up and starting to review applications and starting to hand out those application uh, interview invites. So if you got your score back May 10th, you would have a month and a half to, to retake. And that would be the perfect situation, potentially, if you know you have that score in you. Uh, uh, my, my original MCAT podcast co-host, uh, Brian Snedeker, who I saw last week in San Diego, we got to uh, meet up and say hello. Um, it wasn't our first time meeting in person. Uh, we met at conferences before, but... Um, he always said, if you have that score in you, right, you've proven that that score is in you, then you're one of the rare students that he's not afraid of, of going, just retake it as fast as possible. Yeah. You, you screwed up, you freaked out, whatever happened, you've proven with your full lengths over time, consistently scoring very, very well. That score is there. We just need to take a breath and go retake it. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's it's. Yeah, if you're talking about multiple full lengths where the scores were high and you just had a bad test day, that's that's the one time where a very quick retake is, is fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you're not doing enough reflecting. But in this, you know, in this case, McKenna, I mean, obviously, this is all hypothetical, right? But if you have a bad test day, then the reflecting is, why did I have a bad test day? And what can you do to fix that? But it's not right. a problem with the prep. Right. And that's not going to happen to you. You're just going to go kill it. You know, you're going to, April 9th is going to be a day of amazing brain power for you. Yep. You are going to do your best and be chill and take take deep breaths between passages and have your feet flat on the ground. You're going to be in control of your body and in control of your brain. It's going to be amazing. You can do it. Yes. Uh, Lots of questions about W's. Let me see if I can pick one of them. I had to take a W4 organic because of helping out with my own and my family's medical problems, overcommitting to extracurriculars and a heavy engineering coursework. How do I explain that in my personal statement? You don't. You don't. No. You don't. One W is not worth explaining. Nope. Yeah. I, you know, and, and this is a good point is that what, what, what I think the medical schools are concerned about is a trend. If there's a W every other semester or, you know, I I think a lot of students, uh, a lot, you know, some students uh, will sign up for a bunch of classes and then they figure out which ones are going to be the ones they want to stay in and drop the others. And, uh, you know, that's been, you know, I've heard of that before. And and I would say that's a concerning uh, thing to me. Uh, but they're looking for multiple, you know, they're looking for a, a trend here. And so one W, uh, EV, you know, I don't think you need to worry about it. And certainly yeah. don't address it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and again, we had a couple of questions. I can't find the exact one I'm looking for now, but somebody had said I had two in a row. Um, mm-hmm. Pause and reflect. Yeah. Don't go put a third one on your record right away. 
right? right? Well, what was going on that you had to drop twice? Yeah. Um, once could be anything that's life happening, but yeah, just mm-hmm. to play that pattern. Yeah. Even, even a whole semester, right? A whole semester of W's, like obviously something happened and you were aware enough to know to withdraw. Right. Like, you probably don't have to explain that either. Like mm-hmm. life happens, yeah. death and, and sickness and illness, whatever, like that happens. And so a medical school, like these are human beings going, oh, like you withdrew a whole semester. Something must have happened. Do I need to know? Let me see what happened next semester. You came back, you finished strong, whatever. You're good. Yep. Yep. Great. All right. <sighs> Mary asks, question about taking the MCAT. I'm taking it during Ramadan and will be fasting from 5 a.m. Uh, the day of my MCAT. How bad is it to not snack or drink during the exam? Mary, um, so this happens a lot, right? A, lo- a lot of students who uh, observe Ramadan and, um, and have to take the MCAT during that time, like it's a bummer. But if you've been observing Ramadan probably your whole life, you, your body kind of understands what it needs to do during this time. Our bodies are made to go through fasting periods, right? We, we used to be hunter-gatherers scavenging the plains for food. Um, and so ideally you are testing or, or practicing in the same environment. So you're kind of doing pseudo Ramadans, uh, assuming you're doing full lengths before Ramadan starts, um, so that you understand what you are going to feel like without food, without water during your actual full length exam. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I've always wondered why the WMC and Pearson can't be troubled during the month of Ramadan to offer just one or two night exams. Um, Because so many students I've known who are practicing, observing Ramadan, end up switching their lives. Like, I sleep during the day so I can study at night when I'm allowed to eat and drink. But then they can't test that way. So to Ryan's point... um, you know, I'm working on the assumption here that you're going to continue your practice and observation of Ramadan, that you are going to fast. And if that's the case, then unfortunately, fasting during practice tests probably is the right answer. Get your body used to it. I don't yeah. think, I mean, in general, I don't recommend fasting, but um, I mean, as like, wait, that's a really loaded sentence. I mean, I don't recommend fasting for reasons that are just for fasting itself, right? But if you have a reason to fast, then it is a good idea to have your, your practice test mimic your testing day conditions. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Oh, that's nice. Not alone. Not alone, Mary. No, you're not. Yeah. It doesn't get talked about nearly enough, but you're not alone. Yeah. You're not. Genesee asks, my hospital includes EMT basics as ED techs now. Should I worry about coming off as practicing out of my scope if I mention something I've been trained by a paramedic or my hospital to do, putting IVs in kids? No. This is a very, very common um, fear that has been coming up more recently. And I'm not sure. I don't know if it's coming up more because we've been talking about... um, practicing outside of your scope 
in another country doing this kind of medical tourism stuff. Um, although that's not really medical tourism, uh, medical tourism, something very different, uh, going to another country and, and setting up clinics and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and doing something you're not allowed to do here, right? That's something very different than you are in your job and your supervisors and colleagues or whoever is training you to do something that maybe you don't have a certification for mm-hmm. that's fine. Right. I wouldn't worry about doing anything here that your boss is okay with you doing. Yep. I agree completely. Yep. Yep. Now, obviously you could take it to the extreme and be like, why are you performing surgery all by yourself? Oh, my (laughs) boss boss said it was okay. (laughs) Surgeons don't perform surgery all by themselves. So (laughs) hopefully there's a whole team in there. (laughs) Um, Yeah. This is a common thing. Yep. Uh, Let's see. It's one fifty-seven. We might have time for one more. One more, yeah. Saba asks, "How much do your pre-med college or university matter? Are students belonging to quote top-tier or prestigious schools given advantage over those from relatively average schools if they have similar stats?" A big head shake <laughs> from our former director of admissions at a prestigious med school, a so-called. This med school. Right. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, they're going to look at, as I said in an answer to an earlier question about the rigor of the undergraduate curriculum, they're going to look at where you went to school. They're going to look at your major. They may even look at specific courses that you've taken or are not taken, for example. But to your question, Saba, I do not think that, uh, you know, I, 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 medical schools are interested in diversity. And diversity means, and I'm talking about diversity in a, in a large sense. Uh, they want people from different undergraduate institutions, different majors. They want a variety of different voices and thoughts and, and in, the, in the medical school class and ultimately as physicians in society. And so, you know, the, the last thing they want to do is have uh, a whole bunch of kids from one particular you know, type of institution in their, uh, in their class, in their class. So, uh, so I, I do not think that you're, that, that students from prestigious schools are given advantage over those. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think it works that way. Nope. All right. Yeah, well, Asadine has come to a close episode 94. We will not be here next week as uh, three of the team are traveling to Washington, D.C. for the AMSA convention. Uh, So if you will be in D.C. for AMSA, come say hello. Uh, Dr. Scott Wright, myself and Varinia will be there. And we'll also be doing a meetup on Thursday night, the 7th, I believe yep. is the date, yep. uh, Thursday the 7th. So we'll, uh, we're doing a dinner meetup. We'll have room for 12 students. We'll give some details on that soon. So we'll be back um, the in two weeks on... April 13th, lucky 13, April 13th at same time, 1 p.m. Eastern. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Bye, everybody. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. 
track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.